Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Amsterdam Dance Event. That's what it's all about this week right here. Welcome to the Share the Knowledge Podcast, episode 62. It's your boy, DJ TLM. And welcome, welcome back. I know it's been a while. Hopefully, you checked the last couple of episodes that I recently uploaded. And uh, let's get right into it. I have a couple of questions I want to get into as well. But first off, like I said, let's talk about Amsterdam Dance Event. Um... For those of you who are not familiar with the fact that I live and was born right here in Amsterdam, Amsterdam Dance Event is in my backyard. So whenever I can, I tend to take uh, the time to really dive into what's going on. Now, I'm not into the parties that are going on. That's really of no concern to me at all. A lot of people come to Amsterdam, especially for the parties. For me, it's all about seeing if there's anyone I want to hear talk so if there's like seminars going on or uh, some type of keynote or masterclass, if I can make it, I try to make it there. And most importantly, all the brands are here and sometimes they have some new goodies to show. And this year was definitely not a disappointment. I have some things that I can talk about and there's things that I cannot talk about. Uh, all I can say is there's some nice things coming in the near future. And I did get to check out the new Tractor S4, I believe this is the Mark III by Native Instruments. And Native Instruments has been kind of off the radar for a while for a lot of people. And finally, I believe that they're really back. So version three of the Tractor software is here. And now they have a bunch of new controllers like the S4 Mark III and the S2 Mark III. I did not spend a lot of time with the S2. I did see that it was there. But for me, it was all about checking out that S4. It's a new controller by Native Instruments for Tractor. And the biggest difference compared to all the other controllers they made is that this one actually had moving platters. Now, the first time that I heard about this, I saw a photo and it did not look like a controller with moving platters. It actually looked like a quote unquote normal controller with normal jog wheels. Uh, then I talked to a couple of people and they told me like, no, no, it really has a moving platters. Uh, it's just a different system. There's no motor in there. And that's definitely the case. It does not work like, for instance, the NS4 or Rain 12 or even the new Denon SE5000 M series. They all have motors and this works with some kind of magnetic system. Now, I won't get into details because I do not know the details, but I've seen it. I used it, felt it, and yes, they're definitely moving platters, and they felt pretty good. They are a bit small, but it definitely, definitely, for me, is a major improvement. Now, I know a lot of you do not really care about moving platters, so it might not be interesting for you, but for me, that was definitely something that was interesting. One more fact, and this is something that's totally new. None of the other controllers have this. It also has the haptic feedback that you might be familiar with from certain phones. So for instance, if you have certain iPhones, they might have a button at the bottom that's not really a button, but when the phone is turned on and you press it, you feel a little feedback. That is haptic feedback. This controller has haptic feedback on the jog wheels for the cue points. Now what that means is if you move the platter and you come across a cue point, you actually feel your finger getting tapped by the controller, it feels like you're going over a little bump. Now, it's not a heavy feeling. It's not like you're going over actual hump, 
but you can feel the cue points, which is just a real fun experience. It's something totally different. I kind of liked it. Uh, it also means that you could basically blindly find your cue points just by moving the platter back and then you can feel it. Now, if you go fast, you start to feel it less, but it's definitely there. So to me, that was pretty cool. I would, uh, if I use the S4, put stickers on it. For me, that's still the preferred way to keep an eye on things, to have that visual aid there, because they do have like the light that goes around the jog wheel. That is the indicator. But I feel that the lights do not give me um, the vision I like to have. The sticker on top, so for me, that will make all the difference. I'm working with Native Instruments right now to see if I can get that S4 to do a proper review for the YouTube channel. If you're not familiar with the YouTube channel, that's DJ TLM TV. And for those that are familiar, you're actually watching a video clip of the podcast right now. Uh, so I'm hoping to get that S4 here, finally get some more Tractor and Native Instruments stuff on the channel. Um, it had some more features that were definitely dope for something that is definitely a step above an entry-level controller. This is like, uh, it had a lot of features on there and some features that are very, very nice, but I can't speak too much about it. I just got a quick demo. Shout out to Grizzly Adams. He did a demo there, but he actually showed me the S4, uh, showed me a couple of features, and uh, I think it's a very cool product. So I can't wait to get it here to test it more. Now, what's also pretty funny to me is I posted some stuff on IG, and if you're not following me on Instagram or any social media platform, my handle is DJTLM everywhere. I posted some pictures, and that included pictures of the Rain 12 and Rain 72, and I saw a lot of comments of people asking me like, hey, you finally got to check them, what do you feel about them, and uh, questions similar to that. And it's funny to me because I've talked about this on the podcast numerous times, and I have a video up that stems to the beginning of the year, I think February, when I was at Dance Fair here in the Netherlands, where I actually spent some time and messed around with the 12s and the 72. So this was not new for me, but it was definitely fun to play with them again. And just... Um, uh, talk a little bit more about it. I also went to uh, the Serato Loft. So during Amsterdam dance event, a lot of brands are here in Amsterdam and several brands will find their own spot and just invite certain people over. Serato did the same thing and um, Blakey was there. Shout out to Blakey. And he gave me a full rundown. So I had tested it myself before but he just showed me a lot of features, especially on the 72, because when it comes to the Rain 12s, there's not that much to talk about. It is a big controller with a 12 inch moving platter, and it really feels like a turntable. Now I must admit the feel is a little bit different than the turntables I'm using here, but that's okay because it's a different motor. And if I spend a day with that, I'll get adjusted to the feeling because you have to understand for me, it's muscle memory when it comes to turntables. And I felt that my movements were a little bit too rough because this has a different type of feel and feedback compared to the 12. So I'll have to tread more lightly when I'm moving, but that's going to work out just fine. And I'll be doing full videos about that in the, in the near future as well. So the 12 has a couple of features, but we went through that pretty quickly. And then we got to the 72. Now I saw the 72 at dance fair, but then I really didn't spend too much time on it. And it looks 
like an S9 and a 909 in the rain form factor, but it's a lot to go over when you're just checking it out at some uh, fair. So in this case, Blakey really took the time to show me all the features that are on the 72. And I've done some research, but it was cool to just see it in person. And there's a lot of interesting features on there. And in some ways, the 72 looks more like the Pioneer DJM 909 than the S9. And that's pretty funny. Of course, you have the big screen in the middle, just like the 909 had a big screen. And also just the way you can customize and change a lot of the buttons and the way things feel. Very cool. Uh, I absolutely love the fact that you have the option to use the pad performance pads for channel one in one setting and channel two in another setting. That's something you cannot do with the S9, something I really want on the S9. So what I mean by that is if I choose a function for the pads, so for instance, hot cue, that means that both sides will be in hot cue mode. For certain times, you would wanna have your hot cues on one side and maybe slicer on the other side. Now you can't do that with the S9, but you can do that with the 72. Um, that was one of the things that was interesting. And the screen was pretty nice as well. I don't know if I could put the laptop away and just work with the screen, but the screen allows you to do a lot of things, control a lot of settings as well, especially when it comes to the effects. That's where it looks like the 909 again. You can take an echo and then really fine tune that echo in the high and low frequencies and stuff like that. You could do that with the 909. You cannot really do that the same way with an S9. Um, very cool to see up close. And like I said, once I get those units here, um, I will definitely do more videos with them. Now, I did get to try out the SC5000 M series for the first time. Now, if you see my channel, then you know I have the SC5000, did a couple of videos about those, but the M version has the moving platters. Um, to me personally, not too much to report because I'm so familiar with the smaller moving platters. This felt like NS7 platters on the SE5000. So for me, it's the perfect evolution because you still have all the features of that SE5000, but in this case, it has moving platters. Now, even Layback Luke, who uses the SE5000, has been using them for the last year. Uh, I know he's already switched his rider and went to the M-Series. Now, he comes from vinyl, and most of us, if you started with vinyl and you moved on to CDJs or controllers, once you get something that offers you these exact same features but with moving platters, I know a lot, once they feel it again, they're like, okay, this is what I want to have. So, um, videos about the M-Series coming up as well. Now, just to stay with Serato for a second, Serato also announced that they're working on something new, and that is a collaboration with SoundCloud and Tidal. Now, in the past, you may know that Serato already tried something with PulseLocker, which would allow you to use all the music on PulseLocker if you had an account there. That really didn't work out all that well. If you want to know more about that, I suggest you check out a video Mojax did. Um, I think that's already like two years ago on DJ City where he at, uh, showed exactly why it wasn't really that dope. 
In this case, Serato is gonna have the option in there to allow you not to just go through your own folders on your computer, but also allow you to browse through Tidal and SoundCloud. Now it's still in development, so I saw a version that it's currently at, so it's not the final version. And yes, you actually can browse in your folders and you click on a little icon and now you can check title. Uh, I feel it's always dope when they implement stuff like that. Um, I did see that you had to choose between title or SoundCloud, so you couldn't do them at the same time. Um, but that's not really a big issue for me, and maybe that will change in the future as well. I don't know yet. Like I said, it was not the final version. Uh, I saw a lot of comments online um, about this, and a lot of people were complaining, which kind of confuses me. And these type of things always confuse me. If you hear about a new feature, and that feature is not interesting for you, why bother to even comment negatively about it? You can just ignore that feature. You will never have to use that feature if it's not interesting for you. But the reasons a lot of people were giving just didn't make sense. And it felt like a lot of you were just reading headlines. People already started to complain about the Wi-Fi before they even knew if it's maybe possible to also uh, download and use offline. So I suggest you just wait around and see what happens with that. Then you have people that were complaining that now we would get all these SoundCloud rappers that would show up at the booth asking you to play their song because now you can uh, access SoundCloud. To me, I see the SoundCloud thing as something very important and very supportive towards a lot of new underground artists that are currently just on SoundCloud because now DJs will have the option to play all of your music in clubs and have more people hear your music. I think that's a good thing. I think that's actually a great thing. Uh, how much I'll use it, I don't know yet, but I'm always excited to see features like this. Now, what I also saw was Akai announcing their new collaboration with Splice. Now, if you're not familiar with Splice, and I know a lot of producers probably will be, Splice is a service that offers you a lot of loops and sounds and music for production purposes. And this will, this new collaboration is gonna allow you to use Splice wherever you're at. And basically what will happen if you're using the new NPCs, for instance, the NPC X, you can go on a computer, go through Splice, find some new sounds, uh, add those sounds to your account, and then they will automatically be uploaded to your MPC because your MPC has Wi-Fi. So even if you're gonna be in a totally different place and you start your MPC, as soon as you connect to the Wi-Fi, bam, the sounds will be added to your MPC. So it's pretty cool uh, because it eliminates the extra steps that you have to take now if you wanna get sounds onto that MPC. So even if you have a Splice account now and you get sounds, you're gonna to have to take those sounds, put them on a flash drive, put that flash drive in the MPC. It's not like uh, a lot of difficult steps you have to take, but if it can go automatically, it just takes that step out and it makes the workflow a little bit easier. So for some of you, this is totally not interesting. And for others, this could be a nice addition. I think it's pretty cool. 
to see uh, see things moving in that direction. So I saw some dope tech, tested some dope tech, saw some more things, like I said, that I can't talk about, but that were very exciting to see. And those things will be announced at the beginning of next year, I believe. So um, got to leave that open for now. But uh, yeah, I'm always hyped when I see new things coming. Now, I have some questions I want to talk about. These are not Amsterdam Dancer event related at all, just questions I've received. And right now I want to talk about a question that was sent by a DJ who wants to know how he's going to leave the best impression during a gig. So how can you as a DJ leave the best impression if you have one chance to do a gig and you want to use that to hopefully get more bookings or maybe a residency or anything like that? That's what this is all about. So the question right here comes from a DJ who's been booked to play New Year's Eve at one of the best underground clubs in town. Now he's playing at the upstairs bar area, not the club, and he has about an hour and a half to show his value. So the question is, ignoring the actual DJ set itself, I don't know why, that's probably one of the most important things, but uh, ignoring that set, what things can you do to make a good impression and make the most out of this opportunity so that you might be able to secure more gigs there in the future? All right, so ignoring the gig, ignoring the set, I will get back to that because that definitely plays a part. Besides the music, I feel that attitude is everything. You have to make sure that you conduct yourself in a proper way and be as professional as you can be. Now, what I mean by that is you want to make sure that you are fully prepared. So in, in advance, you find out exactly um, what type of equipment is there, what you have to bring, make sure you have communication with whoever is in charge of that. Um, try to find out exactly what type of people are attending, if it's possible to find that out, age uh, and whatnot what it is that you're supposed to play. Now, you probably already know that, but if not, make sure you double check to find out. Um, so your preparation for yourself, but also in communication with that club uh, to get all the info you need, that's part one. Then when you go to that gig, you make sure you have everything you're supposed to have for that gig and have backups as well. So come fully prepared. And then once you get there, act professionally as well. So make sure you greet everyone friendly, be friendly to the staff, and um, just conduct yourself in a proper way, proper manner. After you're done with your set, when it's time to go home, make sure you thank who you can thank. So for instance, if there's an engineer there, thank the engineer, make sure you greet the staff again, just simple stuff like that. Not go out of your way to shake everyone's uh, hand in the club, just to conduct yourself in the right way. That is something you should think about when you're gonna do a gig. If people see that you're professional and friendly, that can only help. Now, will that secure another gig? No, it will definitely not, but it can help. This is something where it's all about adding all the right pieces together. So that's why I wanna go back to the set now. A lot of DJs feel that the way that they can impress when they have, like you said, you have an hour and a half to show your value. A lot of DJs feel that the only way they can add their value is by 
playing the craziest set and going all out. When sometimes the time slot or uh, location calls for something totally different. See, I don't know exactly what's supposed to happen there, but if there's a club and that club also has an upstairs bar, that's where you're playing, I don't know what the vibe in that upstairs bar is supposed to be, but if they're going all out in the club area, maybe that area where you're playing is not supposed to be like crazy with bangers, but more of a vibe hangout type of thing. That's something you can check as well. But a lot of DJs feel like this is my hour. I have to prove myself. I'm going to play all the hits so everyone's happy and then people see I'm a good DJ. Unfortunately, a lot of times that doesn't really work. Uh, you end up with a lot of DJs playing the exact same tracks, all just playing the hits. People hear the same songs three, four times. Um, and that's not what it's all about. Now, you want to make sure that you try and get a clean set. Make sure your mixes are right. Make sure you control the audio the right way. Uh, levels stay right. Don't go in the red. Have the EQ set the right way. Don't go all out with effects and crazy extras. You want to make sure everything sounds good technically. Um, and then song choice is very important. Now, I don't know if you're going to prepare your set or if you're going to play freestyle. If you're playing freestyle, make sure you read the crowd well and that you're informed of what it is that you should be playing there. If you're preparing a set because you know what they're expecting, even then make sure you read the crowd. If by any chance the crowd is totally different, you might have to go to a plan B and start playing something else. Um, so the set really does matter as well, but I would just focus on delivering a good set and not depend on just playing the craziest, uh, hottest hits of the moment. It all really depends on, like I said, time slot and location. I don't know if you're playing at the beginning of the night, if you're playing prime time, if you're playing at the end of the night, and I don't know what the vibe in that bar is supposed to be. So it will be in your best interest to find all of that out in advance. There is a sub question. What should I make sure I have in place in advance? Um, what to make sure I do during the night, before, after, and during the set, and how can I continue to make an impact uh, after the event in 2019 so that I'm not forgotten by those that matter? Um, well, first off, if if you don't do a good job that night, they're not going to be interested. If you do do a good job, it doesn't mean that they'll remember you. Uh, that could be the case. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think you should be focusing too much on just the people there. Like we just discussed, you wanna make sure you deliver a nice good set, technically, song-wise, and whatever. You wanna make sure you, uh, be, you are professional. You wanna make sure you do everything like that, right? But what I would suggest you do as well is you make sure that you record your set and maybe have someone there to film and take some pics so you can upload that later not just for the people that may have been there, but also for other people, because now you have some material that you can use online to show that you are a DJ, show and let people hear how the set went and what you actually play, and stuff like that content might get you more gigs as well. You can even take some of that content, make a nice little video out of that, and maybe send that to certain places. Uh, if you turn it into a cool little video, you can also send it to the promoter afterwards if you make sure that the club and club name is visible in that video, um, just to show them that you added some value for them as well. Um, 
but I'm not sure what else you can do to continue to have an impact. I mean, you want to make sure you continue to have communication, um, but beyond that, I'm not really sure if there's something you can do after the gig that's going to really help with future bookings. Let me just take a break and thank the sponsor of today's episode, and that is Banzoogle. And Banzoogle is a website building service. I feel having your own website, having your own blog is still a very good thing to have as a DJ, as an artist. And Banzoogle is made by artists for artists. That's why I really like to work with them. And they offer you everything you need to build your own website very quick if you go check out sharethenowledgepodcast.com that's a site that i built with banzoogle i just took one of their templates and they have a lot of templates and i just adjusted it to the way i want it to look and i don't have to worry about anything else when you use banzoogle you don't have to worry about updates that's all done all i have to do is fix the design and have the content on there that I want on there. And it offer you a lot of things like ways to build your mailing list, sell your merch without paying any commission. So they offer a lot of services that I really like. Now you can try them out for 30 days for free. And if you're interested and you want to get your year subscription, you can get 15% off if you use the promo code in the description down below, you can find the link and the promo code. Um, so if you're interested, check that out. Thank you, Banzoogle. Shout out to you, and let's continue with the show. Next up, a question about scratching. So the question is, I've been scratching and mixing for a couple of months, and my music knowledge helps a lot. I'm struggling with the technical aspects of turntablism, specifically how to use my thumb as a spring on the crossfader. I've seen a ton of your videos, and I was hoping you could point me in the direction of one that explains this, uh, or do or share the knowledge, yes sir, how to effectively use the thumb as a spring to really toss it back and forth. Um, to be honest, I never really thought about that when it comes to turntablism. When I'm moving my fader back and forth, um, I don't think I'm using my thumb as a spring. So if we're talking about turntablism right now, be juggling stuff like that. My thumb is not really a spring. Yes, I use it to, 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 to tap the crossfader one way, but I also use my other fingers. So it's definitely not my thumb. Now for certain scratches, I will use my thumb to keep the crossfader closed and then use other fingers to tap against it. And if you're talking about that technique, I suggest you check out my video about the transform scratch because that's one of the scratches where I do actually use my thumb to keep that crossfader closed. And then I use my other fingers to tap against it. Um, it's really hard to explain um, in audio version. Luckily, I'm also doing a video clip. Um, so like I said, my thumb is up against that fader and it's basically holding the fader closed. But you're not gonna apply that much pressure that you can't open it with your other fingers. So once your fingers tap it, it should open a little bit. So you need to just work on how much pressure you actually have to apply with that thumb. I always compare it to your thumb being like a rubber band. It keeps things together, but there is a stretch option. So if it's holding it closed, you can't tap it open, but as soon as you've tapped it, it will spring back into place. Um, no specific video that really talks about practicing that, 
but my transformer video does explain it. Uh, so I think you should t check that one out uh, again, or if you haven't checked it, go check it out. Should DJs that really want to be taken seriously be able to play on any piece of DJ equipment? Let's talk about that right now. All right, so I have another question from the same person that was talking about the thumb technique. And in this case, the question is, I started DJing on vinyl. I can hold my own with scratching and mixing. I recently found the usefulness of Rekordbox and the simplicity of the grid and having a USB. Now, I'm not totally sure what that means. If we're talking about grid, uh, grid if we're talking about the beat grid, you can do that with a lot of DJ software, so not just Rekordbox. But uh, do you think all DJs that really want to be taken seriously should be able to hold their own on both standard CDJs or controller in addition to vinyl? And in my opinion, it just shows appreciation to the art of DJing and being able to be versatile. All right. I am not sure. So first of all, for me personally, I'm not interested if people will take me seriously as a DJ. I take myself seriously as a DJ. That's all that matters to me because there are so many people with opinions and someone else's opinion should not matter to you as much as your own opinion. That's my opinion. So I do believe that it is in a DJ's best interest to be able to play on different types of equipment, especially if you want to do more types of gigs. So let's say you're a DJ who uses turntables and real vinyl, and that's all you want to use. It's perfectly fine. I'm not going to take that DJ less seriously, and that DJ shouldn't even care how I view that DJ. But the fact is, if you only play on turntable with real vinyl, it's going to limit the amount of gigs you could do. You can still have gigs, but you are possibly limiting yourself. Um, beyond that, nothing. That's just it. Same for me. If I decide that I only want to play with turntables and DVS, in my case now Serato, so control vinyl. That's all I wanna use, so real vinyl or control vinyl with turntables. I can do that, uh, it just means that it might make my life, my gig life more difficult because I do run into situations where we're doing a 30 minute gig, that's when I'm doing my tour DJ thing, where I'm playing for like 10 minutes and then we do a 20 minute live show and then we're out. We're doing those shows at events where you have five other DJs that are all playing on CDJ type equipment. And that means that if I really only want to do DVS, I will have to come in with flight cases and all of my equipment, set all of that equipment up to play 10 minutes and then do a 20 minute show. Now, in the past, we did this for the longest time because we definitely felt this added something visually. At a certain point, you realize that that only adds something visually for you and a couple of people because the rest of that club crowd really doesn't care. They're just there to hear music, have a good time. If there's a live act, they watch the live act, but they're not really caring about what the DJ is using. And if you're looking at convenience, when we do shows like that, 
most of the times I will use CDJs if they have CDJs, if all five DJs are playing on that. I will come in with a flash drive. I will play 10 minutes of club tracks from the CDJs and we'll do the show from CDJs. After the show, it takes me 30 seconds to unplug my headphones and the flash drive and we're good to go and we can leave maybe to another show, maybe just home. Um, the convenience factor is right there. If I'm being booked to DJ and I'm playing anywhere and I'm doing a set that's longer than an hour, uh, chances are I will do anything in my power to make sure I can use turntables with DVS. But if I ever run into a situation where I can do a dope gig, but the only way I can do it is if I do it on the media players that are there in the specially made booth and they have Denons or Pioneers, um, I will give it a moment's thought and I'll probably do that gig on that equipment because I allow myself to learn to play on different equipment, uh, which opens the door to more opportunities. So that's my answer. You should not care about how people view you. You need to be happy with how you feel about yourself when it comes to the DJ thing and what you use, but just know that it is more convenient if you know how to use more types of equipment. I'll give you one more example. It's not even about using turntables or CDJs or whatever, but when I first started out, I had a certain mixer at home, and most of the clubs I would do my first gigs at had a different mixer. I had to learn how to use all sorts of mixers right there on the spot in clubs because the mixer I had was like a two-channel mixer with no EQ, no crossfader. Uh, and then you get to the clubs and they have big club mixers with a ton of EQ settings, long faders, and they look totally different than my mixer. I had to use them because I was not gonna be able to have my own mixer there. Um, so I learned fairly quick that it's in my own best interest to know how to work all sorts of equipment. But at the end of the day, I will always try to make sure that I get to play what I prefer to play on because in most occasions it will improve, enhance my performance. That's the most important thing to me. So let's stick with this subject for a second because I have a question that actually relates to this uh, using different types of equipment. And the question here is, I own a Pioneer DDJ SX2, that's a controller, and I find it hard or rather challenging to scratch on it. However you're set up with the vinyl seems easier. What's your thought on that? Shall I invest on a setup similar to yours? And if so, how do I start? What to look for and where? Uh, I might come off as demanding, but I'm tremendously, uh, I tremendously appreciate the help. Um, you know, I understand, man. I understand. So no worries right there. And I totally understand the question. Now, here's the thing. If you are really into scratching turntablism, this is what you want to do and you want to learn more about. The turntable is always going to be the tool that's going to deliver the most you're gonna get the most out of practicing turntablism with turntables. It makes so much sense. The word is in that name, turntablism. You can do a lot with the SX2, but here's the thing. If you take me or any other DJ that was schooled on turntables when it comes to turntablism, we will get more out of that SX2 than you or anyone who started on controllers or CDJs. That's just a fact. 
we will destroy you. <laughs> I don't mean that in a negative way, but I've received like a lot of comments when I did videos with controllers and I was scratching from people who told me like, I own that controller. How can you get those scratches out of that controller? Well, it's not the controller, it's me. It's the muscle memory that I acquired over the years of practicing with real moving vinyl that stays in your head. And even when you start to use controllers or any type of media player, you already own or master the technique and you'll make it work as well as it can on other devices. But if you start out with that device, you are limited when it comes to your turntablism skills. I have not seen a DJ yet that started out on media players or controllers that can hang when it comes to turntablism. All of the guys that I know that are very skilled and can do a lot of turntablism stuff on controllers or media players all started on vinyl and that's where they learned how to do it. So you do not need a setup like mine, but if you wanna do anything, go any deeper into turntablism, I will get a set of turntables and you have a lot of options there and preferably a scratch mixer, but most mixers will work, but a scratch mixer most of the times will have a crossfader that's a little bit more suitable for a lot of scratch techniques. But then again, in the clubs, there's plenty of times where I'll use a DJM 900 and that's not a scratch mixer and I'll make it work for my scratches as well. But I would suggest you look for a nice turntable set if you really wanna get more into it. And trust me, once you practice with that turntable set for some time, you start to feel your skills are improving, you hook up that SX2 again, you're gonna see that things are going a lot smoother now that you master the techniques. So I hope that helps you out. And that's where I want to end today's episode, episode 62 of the Share the Knowledge podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're watching the video clips, salute to you. I hope you subscribe to the channel. I hope you enjoyed my video content. Uh, if you want to ask me any questions, you can check me out on social. The handle is DJTLM everywhere. Or you can also send me an email, sharethenowledge at djtlm.com. Uh, check out sharethenowledgepodcast.com. That's the website where you can find everything uh, that I do with the podcast. And that is made with the sponsor service Banzoogle. Um, if you want to know more about them, if you want to use the promo code, make sure you check the links in the description box as well. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.